they asked for money. The temperature was either too hot or too cold. The referees always made decisions that I didn't agree with. Some games went into overtime and I got home real late. The marching band played songs that I had never heard before. My parents just took me to too many games when I was growing up. I always end up sitting near hypocrites who only come to watch other people watch the game. I've heard some of those same reasons why somebody said they weren't going to church. Very similar reasons why I don't go to a ball game anymore. You see, Jesus does a good job of addressing hypocrisy, but he's not finished. And in Luke chapter 12, he continues his teaching to his disciples and he brings up the topic of hypocrisy again. If you were with us last week, you realize that Jesus was addressing the religious leaders of his day and he came very open and honest with them and addressed the Pharisees. He had three woes for them. Then he addressed the, 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 the religious leaders, the lawyers, or the scribes. And he had three woes for them as well. And at the end of chapter 11, that they said the things that he said, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something of his mouth that they might accuse him. Chapter 12, verse 1 opens up, In the meantime... When they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware, you have the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hidden that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which is spoken in the ear in closet shall be proclaimed unto the housetop. I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whatsoever shall, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost, it shall, be, it shall not be forgiven. When they bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing you shall answer and what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what you ought to say. Let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing upon the reading. Father, bless the 12 verses that we have read that would be applied into our heart in the time that we have this morning. Encourage us, help me to say only what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less. I'd be an instrument, an, a broken instrument that you can use uh, to uh, 
uh, touch hearts here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The content of Luke chapter 12, it's a long chapter, 59 verses, and we just got finished with 54 verses in chapter 11, um, continues the teaching of our Lord when he addressed in the previous chapter. There he was at a Pharisee's house at the table. He had accepted an invitation to come and, and, and be a, a guest in the home of someone else. And he takes that opportunity to address the guest, the Pharisee, and all of those who are with him. He actually calls them fools in that chapter. But in this chapter, Jesus has moved out into the open air with the multitudes. Verse 1, there are many who have gathered together, so much so that they're trampling upon one another, pushing and shoving, trying to, trying to get away that they can see Jesus and hear Jesus. And, and multitude, the word that is used here, means myriads. This means an, a number that can't be counted, that there are so many people out there that are flocking to hear Jesus preach. And the content that Jesus preaches throughout these 59 verses is content that is found throughout some of the other Gospels. Jesus will address some, some items that are found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 10, Matthew 12, Matthew 24, Matthew 25. Also recorded in Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 12, and 13. So Luke in this one chapter is going to address a, a, a very large group of Jesus' teachings that didn't just happen at one occasion. This was something Jesus was teaching about on a regular basis as shown between these three Gospels. Today we're going to look at top, or, or at least in this chapter, he's going to address topics such as leaven and the Pharisees, faith during persecution, being a witness through suffering, the danger of materialism, seeking the kingdom of God. He'll address that in this chapter. He'll talk about the issue of worry and anxiety. He'll talk about the issue of blaspheme of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. He'll talk about being ready for the coming Messiah. He'll give a parable later on. He'll also talk about discerning the signs. Those who can look out and see the weather and discern the rain is coming because of the, the, the storm clouds that they see. But also we should be similar to be able to determine the signs of the times. He also talks about stewardship and doing the will of the master. He'll give a parable about a faithful servant. And in these 12 verses that we're going to look at here, Jesus is going to address some important issues, and he's going to talk about fear. What are you afraid of? Spiders? Tight places? Heights? Um, are you afraid of bugs? Maybe crazy drivers? Maybe you're afraid of the dark. I remember I, I have a, a phobia for high places. All right? You be careful. Uh, just going up uh, a few, that's why the Lord made me so short. And he, he, he knew that I was afraid. I remember um, one time I was at the top of the, out on the roof of the church, about maybe 30, 40, 50 feet up. It felt like about a, a thousand feet. And I was leaning over the top of the peak of the, of the church, trying to reach underneath, and my half body is half off, Half on, trying to reach underneath to the spotlight that was under there because we didn't have a large enough ladder, so we got up in there. And Josh May is down there on the front. Mr. Josh May, you know, he's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, standing down on the front. He's going to catch me when I fall. And I remember thinking, why is he not up here? He's got the world's longest arms. 
And here I am trying to reach this thing underneath that peak up there. You, you, what are you afraid of? We all have fears. Interesting in this chapter, the Lord said in verse 4, don't be afraid. In verse 5, he said, do be afraid. Says it three times. And then in verse 7, he says again, don't be afraid. And then, if you didn't miss it, maybe in a similar fashion, in verse 11, he says, take no thought. This is an issue of worry, and to some extent, that is connected with fear. So are we to be afraid or not be afraid? I'm kind of confused. As you read through, that Jesus is going to be addressing some things about fear. There are some healthy fears that we should have, and there are some things that we should not be afraid Let's address some of these things this morning as we see in this chapter. First of all, Jesus is going to address a warning about leaven. A warning about the Pharisees. As you read through in verse 1, when we come to the end of verse 1, Jesus begins to speak. He's speaking to two crowds here. He first talks to his disciples who he draws them out. And this is what the teaching is going to be to those 12 apostles, those 12 disciples who are in front of him. However, he's in the earshot. Everyone, the multitude, thousands upon thousands of people who are now in the streets gathered around, Jesus is going to speak just loud enough where they can hear him as well. And so this is going to be important as he gathers them together. And he warns them to be careful. Something to be afraid. That's what the warning here. Beware. We ought to have a healthy fear of leaven. Now this is not a phobia of food. Although some people may have a phobia of, of food. This is not talking about a diet here today. This is not talking about get rid of the cake and the rolls and the sourdough bread. Jesus speaks here of his disciples and the issue of the Pharisees and a conversation that he has had with the Pharisees. And he wants to continue that conversation with his disciples and warn them personally. Beware of the leaven. You know what leaven is. If you're a baker, you like to cook, um, you, you know that leaven. And if you like to eat. You know what leaven is. Yeast. I had to read a little bit of the definition. Wikipedia says yeast. And you can always trust what Wikipedia says. Yeast are single cell microorganisms classified as members of the fungus kingdom. Who knew they had a kingdom? I learned a little more than I wanted to. The word yeast comes from the old English word meaning bubble. To, to bubble up to grow. Archaeologists have found in Egypt in buildings dating back 4,000 years in areas of the bakery where they would grind grain and make bread they have found yeast colonies that have survived 4,000 years. Leaven or yeast is first mentioned in Israel's history in the book of Exodus. In that tenth plague or after the tenth plague when God came down to the Jewish people and reminding them about their sin and when that death angel came through they were to eat the sacrifice of the Passover and they were to cook unleavened bread. Why? Because as they ate they were to eat with their sandals on their feet their staff in their hand and the food on the table they were to eat with hay standing up. They were told not to cook with leaven because they didn't have time for it to grow. 
They didn't have time for it to, to mature and ferment. They were to put the bread right into the oven, eat it as is, which was unleavened. Because it was to be quick. It was a reminder to them that they were in slavery and they needed to be set free. And any moment the Redeemer was going to come and they were going to be delivered from Egypt. Then throughout the Old Testament addressed in the Passover meal, but also throughout the life of the Jewish people, leaven would picture an identification of an analogy of sin. Because leaven is a contamination, a fermentation. A small amount of yeast, a small amount of leaven in a dough of flour can multiply and ferment and grow and the whole lump of flour can be infected by this fungus. And we love to eat it. We like bread and croissants and muffins and cakes and donuts. Malt, a form of yeast, is in cereal. Candy. Yeast grows on berries and grapes. We love to eat. But the analogy of this yeast and this leaven, even by Jesus' day, had already been used as how sin works. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 8. He said, the leaven of wickedness and malice compared to the unleaven of sincerity of in truth. So even Paul talks about leaven. Jesus connects leaven here in this passage with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. You see, yeast being a symbol of evil impulses and hidden sin is an imagery that Jesus likes to use. Mark chapter 8 and verse 15, he told the disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 6, he tells the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So three groups of people, Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herodians. The Pharisees were self-righteous snobs. Jesus had addressed them in the previous chapter. The Herodians were self-indulgent, lustful hedonists. That's what a Herodian was. The Sadducees were self-proclaimed materialists. They loved money and things. One lived for religion, one lived for the world, and the other lived for possessions and riches. And Jesus had a lot to say about warning his disciples of all of the above. Just a little bit of the world, just a little bit of, of, of hypocrisy, just a little bit of riches and money can affect the whole thing. Paul said this in Galatians 5 and verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul was teaching about false teaching in that passage, saying just a little bit of false teaching creeps into the church and all of a sudden it will infect everyone that's there. Don't have any part with it, Paul says in the book of Galatians, because it spreads. In Luke, Jesus stresses the spread of hypocrisy. You see, there is such a great danger in Christians that play a part and hide the leaven in our lives. It's dangerous. And Jesus says. Disciples should be afraid of that. It should be afraid. We are to be holy to the Lord. Not contaminated. Jesus warns his disciples about the, this danger. First and foremost. You saw that word first of all. Yes he's addressing the disciples first. But the very first thing that he says. Is beware. Beware, have a healthy fear of the contamination of hypocrisy that can creep into your home and in your life. You can snuff it out. Don't put up with it in your life. 
When you find yourself being doubled, when you find yourself living one way out in the public and a different way at home, deal with it right then. Deal with it with your children, in the lives of your children. When you see that they, they, they begin to live one way out in the public, but then at home they live in something completely different. Deal with it right away. Because one little small area of leaven of hypocrisy can begin to destroy your whole family, can destroy a church. We should be afraid of it and its effects, even one drop. Paul says that we should have the unleaven of sincerity and truth. In other words, being real and genuine and reflecting the truth of God. We talked a little bit about that last week. Jesus addresses it again. That's a healthy fear that we should have, being real and being afraid of the leaven of hypocrisy. Jesus also talks about the judgment day in verse 2. He said, There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which is spoken in the ear of your closet shall be proclaimed from the housetop. Jesus addresses the fact that one day, everything is going to be made known. You can't hide from God. And we should be afraid of that. That's a healthy fear. You see, hypocrisy is a sin of concealment. People do a good job of hiding their sin. We are good at covering things up, aren't we? We do a good job at that. Notice in this verse, he talks about darkness, places that you can't see. Scripture says men love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. Why does Solomon look out of his window at night and see a man who is void or empty of understanding walking alone in the darkness in the streets at night? It's because that is what we do. We hide things. Notice he says here in the closet, those things that are spoken in the private place. The word closet here is the word inner room. Or it can be translated this, the word cellar or basement. Hidden rooms or secret closets. I remember the first time that we visited the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. And I remember I wanted to know all about the secret closets and the secret doors that are hidden throughout that mansion. And a few of them were pointed out uh, for us in the, with, the, uh, uh, with the guide as it would show us these, these hidden doors that would go into passageways and go into different directions. I remember visiting Windsor Castle in England and also hearing the stories of uh, Buckingham Palace that in the hallways there are rooms between, there are, there are doors and hallways between the rooms so that the servants don't intermingle with the king and the queen and they can move from place to place throughout the house in these hidden corridors in these hidden rooms and never have to go into the actual place of where the king and queen are. Jesus is saying, when you're in your car driving home and nobody sees your gossip, God does. When you're in your basement and your wife doesn't see what's on your screen, God does. When a teenage girl is alone in the car with her boyfriend, God sees. And God takes account. And that should terrify us. That's a healthy fear of the Lord. 
Now, as a believer, I struggle with the scenario that one day we're going to get to heaven and some giant screen is going to roll down and we're going to stand before all God's people and all our hidden things are going to be shown across the screen. I don't believe that's what Jesus is talking about here. I don't, I don't believe that the Lord is going to, to, to address all of our sins in front of all the people of heaven one day as believers. However, we will give an account for the things that we have been done in our body and in our life. We should be afraid of a righteous God who can see and hear our every move. That should sh- sober us up to be careful with our actions and our words in public and in private. I also believe that Jesus here is teaching, um, maybe in, in a way, that we attempt to hide our sins and our true desires, but eventually our hearts will reveal themselves. You see, we can disguise our hearts. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But eventually Jesus is saying, if, if we're not careful, we'll let our hearts slip and it'll come out of our mouth. You see, our true character and our true actions will come. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. Thorn bushes don't produce figs. Briars don't bear grapes. Every tree is known by its... What's the word? Fruit. The fact is, we may pretend and we may be able to do a good job for a very long time. But if you're a good enough detective you'll know how to see the signs of your true heart when it comes out. One word that slips. One, one action, one thing that our heart begins to draw us. I like um, reading Sherlock Holmes' um, books. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote a humorous event when Dr. Watson comes into the room of 221B Baker Street in London and Sherlock Holmes is sitting in his chair with a smile on his face. He shares the news with Watson of what he has done. He had sent a telegram to 12 of his best friends, all men of great wealth and power and reputation. And the telegram simply said this, fly at once, All is discovered. He said within 24 hours, all 12 men had fled the country. And here he's laughing. Just a joke. Seriousness of the fact that we are good at hiding sin. And the Lord wants to remind us that he sees. And he knows our hearts. We ought to be afraid, not just of Eleven, but we ought to be afraid of the fact that we stand before an almighty God who is righteous and just. Verse 4 and 5, he addresses a fear about the one who can kill the soul. This is an interesting passage as I read through this. He said, I say unto you, my friends. Now take note of that. He's going to talk about worry in the next verses. And when he talks about this fear about taking the body and taking the, taking the soul and this fear that we may have that we need to take no thought when suffering and persecution comes in and not to worry. Don't miss how he addresses his disciples here. My friends, underscore that word. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's a friend that we have. And Jesus, as he addresses this very rare fear that disciples have and should have and should not have of certain things, he addresses them as friends. I remember in the crowd of those 12 disciples, one of them is playing a role. One of them is playing a part, and he's doing a very good job at it. You know what his name is? Judas. And Jesus calls him my friend. Judas had every opportunity that Peter had, that James had, that John had. Jesus calls him my friend. Jesus gives perspective on what we should truly be afraid. He talks here about the death of the body. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. For once they kill the body, they can't do anything more. Right? Death of the body is the natural outcome for every one of us if the Lord tarries His coming. It may be painful. It may be prolonged. It may be very quick. Only God knows. There is appointed for us once to die, and after this, the judgment. Physical death is a step into the next life. And for believers, Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What's the most that could happen to you? What's that, that, that we would step out into this life, take our last breath, and step into the presence of God. Yet, there are a lot of people who fear death. Can I remind you that choosing to follow Jesus for these men meant death? In fact, Jesus warned them that if they hated me, they will hate you. To be aligned with Jesus of Nazareth meant an outcome of suffering, persecution, and death for all 11 of these men. The crowds right now may be pushing and stepping on one another, can't wait to see and hear Jesus, but one day that same crowd will gather together in downtown Jerusalem and say, kill him. And we're out for you next. Think about Nicodemus. That secret disciple is maybe standing in the crowd, got his Pharisee garment on, and he's standing there, and he's hearing Jesus speak about being who you truly are and not being afraid of men. Who can take you and persecute you? And Nicodemus is over there looking around. This one who came to Jesus in the night. If I openly declare my allegiance with Jesus, my friends will kill me. There were people in the crowd that day who were on the fence between a decision. Should I live for Jesus and proclaim my faith? Or should I keep it hidden? They were living a double life. You see, hypocrisy goes both ways. And Jesus had already told them, you are either on my team or you're not on my team. There are no fences. There's nobody can stand on the, on the gray area and decide, okay, I'm just going to be secretly a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is addressing the fear of the peer pressure that the crowd can bring. What will people say? What will people think? What will my coworkers think? What will my family think? I read a letter this last week from one of my friends who is a professor and translator in the Middle East who teaches pastors in closed countries. 
He wrote in his prayer letter this week that one of his students whom he teaches via in-person and online who is a pastor in a closed country was taken out the back of his house and by his father beaten to a pulp all because he's studying the Bible. What does it cost you to be open about your faith with Jesus in your walk with the Lord? Jesus has given them a proper fear because he says in the next verse, this is, I I forewarn you in verse 5, you see that? Whom you shall really be afraid of. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say, he says it again, fear him. This fear is the fear of the one who can condemn you. This is straightforward and blunt, but it's very serious. Who is the one who has power to send not someone to hell? It's not the devil. The devil actually for himself is going to be sent to hell. He doesn't send anyone to hell. The condemnation that comes, comes from God above. He's not named in this verse, but he's addressed indirectly. He's being, in a, in a way, he's being polite. He's be, the Jewish people were not allowed the name, the, the name of Yahweh in God. They just often address God the Father indirectly. Fear him. Fear the one who, is the, who has the power to, to take your soul. Jesus was not discouraging his disciples here necessarily are causing them to doubt maybe he was addressing Judas here but Jesus is bringing comfort these words were meant to encourage his disciples truly fear God take into perspective think long and hard about what you have in the eternal father and what he's given you It is not about what men can do or about what men can say to you. In the end, when it's all said and done, it's about the fear of God and pleasing Him and obeying His commandments. That's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. That's what we should find comfort. Comfort in the arms of Jesus. That's why someone like Stephen could stand up in the midst of a crowd who took up stones to stone him and stand against such intense persecution and be strong because he wasn't afraid of this world. The thing that he was afraid of was displeasing his heavenly father. Pleasing God was the only thing that mattered to Stephen. And these disciples had to think long and hard of who they were living to uh, in approval. Kent Hughes says this, when the great Scottish reformer John Knox was being lowered into his grave, a man cried out during the funeral, here lies John Knox who feared God so much that he never feared the face of man. That's courage. That's perspective. That's what we should surely be aware of what we are afraid of. In verse 6 and 7, Jesus addresses anxiety and worry. That can come in in fear as well. He says in verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God? You know, little children are often afraid of being alone. Some here today are often afraid of being forgotten. I visit people in the hospital and sometimes our widow ladies and Some many times that I've gone into the nursing home and 
Sometimes there are people who are forgotten. And they're afraid of being forgotten. Jesus says here, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? In other words, five for the price of one. Sparrows were so common in the marketplace and in the land that you could buy five of them or, and, and only pay for one. In other words, there were four freebies. You like freebies? You like going and getting buy one, get one free type thing? You like the bargains? You like looking through the newspaper and like getting the coupons and, and being able to get the freebie? How about going in to buy one and, and the owner says, oh, here, here's, here's five more. Go ahead and take those. I just get them every week. I can't get rid of these things fast enough. You see, the point is the most common marketplace meat that could be bought that was really just basically given away because it was so common, wasn't even worth the money, was known by God. Sparrows. God doesn't forget the tiniest of birds. And God doesn't forget the tiniest of hares. He cares about every detail of the animal kingdom and he cares about everything that you consist of. One scientific observation I read this week said, the typical blonde person has 145,000 hairs on his head. A dark-haired person may have 120,000 hairs. A red-headed person has an average of 90,000 hairs. I also read this week that we lose around 75 hairs on our head every day. Some of you are afraid of that. That may cause you a little worry. Have any of you ever attempted to try and count your hairs? Some of you may. And it gets easier every day. But just normal people don't even think about that. You just comb your hair and wash it and... and and spray it, and dye it, and curl it, and straighten it, and step on it, and lick it. That's, not, that's what we do to our hair. We don't think about the number, and yet God knows every one. You don't even know. The point is, God knows more about you than you do you. Even the detailed things that you didn't know about, God knows. And that should encourage the believers. Don't be afraid. You are of much more value than many sparrows. You. He takes note even when the sparrow falls, Matthew says. And he takes note of you. That should bring a security in our day today that God cares about us. He goes from the lesser to the greater. If God can take care and feed the sparrows and he sees when everyone falls or when everyone is sold for, for just throwing the freebies, how much more? Interesting that the God who judges sin is also the God who takes care of sparrows. The same God who knows you in secret is the same God who cares for you in private. Jesus also addresses confession in these verses. In verse 8, he says, that I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men shall the Son of Man also confess. But if you deny me before men, 
he shall also be denied before the angels. Jesus is talking about confession here. The word confession in this verse means to speak in agreement to. It means to say the same voice with. To acknowledge. When we confess Jesus, we are agreeing with who God says He is and who He is claiming to be. We are agreeing with God. Paul sees confession as a result of the person who has faith in the person of Jesus Christ. He will agree with what the Scripture says about Jesus. That He is the Son of God. That He is the Son of Man. That He is the Lord of the universe. That He is the one who can be your Savior. That's what it means to confess Jesus. To believe on your heart and then to verbally make that confession known. A true believer will not be afraid of testifying and telling of what he knows about Jesus. This no doubt is probably digging at the heart of someone like Nicodemus in the crowd. Maybe someone like Judas. Who is proclaiming outwardly one area, but inwardly he's away from God. And you have another man who is, who is not proclaiming outwardly, but inwardly he believes. You see the hypocrisy on both sides? And how this works? Him shall the Son of Man confess before the angels. What does that mean? That means God, Jesus, the Son, is our advocate that stands before God and pleads our case. We can't do it ourselves. Only Jesus who stands there with nail-pierced hands and in His side and in His feet and said, this one is mine. He knows me and He's confessed me. Therefore, I confess Him before you. I acknowledge that He is mine. But the fear of the one who denies Jesus. You've got a choice. You've got to make. Listen, you may be here this morning and you may believe facts about Jesus. You may believe about the Bible. You may even consider yourself a Christian. But you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ because you've not put your faith and trust in Christ and accepted Him as your Savior and Lord and made that confession and, and, and uh, made that decision of your will. Don't wait. Do that today. Trust Christ as your Savior. And then Jesus dresses the fear of the unpardonable sin. What about blasphemy of the Holy Ghost? There are so much that I can say, but time is just so brief here. But just to understand, Jesus also records this same blasphemy and unpardonable sin in Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3. And in both Matthew and Mark, Jesus is addressing the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit in direct response to the attributing of the miracles that Jesus was doing to Beelzebub. The denial of his power as being satanic. Now, we read that in the context of chapter 11. But Jesus addresses that later in this chapter here in chapter 12. But we can't separate that from the accounts of Matthew and Mark. Luke does not directly connect that. The religious leaders were saying the power of Jesus was actually the power of the devil. The mighty works that Jesus was doing was being attributed not to the Spirit, not to God, but to the works of evil spirits. And this was outright disbelief and rejection of who Jesus was and the power that He had. So the unpardonable sin is a sin of ultimately the rejection of who Jesus is. Attributing to the person of Jesus, to the works of the devil, not to the power of the Spirit. 
In this context, this, uh, the Trinity is addressed. Him is the one that we should fear who can destroy the soul. That's talking about the Father. Verse 8 is the Son of Man. Now in verse 10, we have addressed for us the Holy Spirit. And can I say last, we close in verse 11 and 12. Jesus is now going to address the worry and the fear that can come from persecution and suffering. He says in verse 11, they that bring you before the synagogues and magistrates and the powers, that would be the authorities, don't worry. What you'll answer them or what you will say because when the time comes, the Holy Ghost is going to teach you in that very same hour what you need to say. Jesus addresses here the dependence upon the Holy Spirit that one day is going to come for these disciples. The power of the Spirit that's going to come upon them and indwell with them so that in their times of suffering and persecution, they don't have to be afraid because they're not left alone. That doesn't mean we don't prepare for sermons or study or for the difficulties that may come in life. But what we, are, what we need to do is we realize that the power of God to come upon us to know that He is with us and will guide us and will help us and He's not left us alone. We have one of our children that is afraid of being left alone. She came down the other night saying that she had had a bad dream. I asked her, well, what, what was your dream about? I was thinking maybe some giant monster under the bed or one of those lions that eats the gazelles or a dragon. One of my kids was afraid of dragons. Or maybe the house was on fire or bugs were chasing her. She said, no. She said, I was all alone and couldn't find my mommy and daddy. You know, that is a real fear, a real fear of every believer in times of difficulty and suffering. Are you there? Being left alone without a mommy and daddy. You see, Jesus is leaving his disciples with this very sobering fact that we are never left alone as a child of God. He knows every hair on our head. He sees everything we do, everywhere we go. Nothing can happen to you that is out of his tender care. And he even tells his disciples, you are my friends. He will never leave you in the face of difficulty. I don't know what you're facing this morning. But what I do know is he is right there with you. He's never left you alone. Father, I pray as we close this morning. Lord, we live with so many fears. Sometimes we, we are afraid of the things we shouldn't be afraid of. And we're not afraid of the things that we should be afraid of. Our fears are all out of whack. And here in this passage, you've, you've addressed a lot, of, a lot of things that we've walked through, a lot of principles. But Lord, I, wherever believers may find themselves, either in the fear of suffering and persecution and being alone, or maybe in the fear of peer pressure of the groups around them, maybe the fear of leaven that has crept into their life and their family, maybe the fear of, of, um, of hiding sin and being re revealed. Lord, I pray this morning the Holy Spirit would convict hearts. How do we deal with, with sin? How do we deal with this? We must confess. We must agree.
with what you say about our sin and, and not continue to, be, um, to hide it and to cover it up. Thank you that you are a God of mercy and love and compassion, but you are also a God of justice and righteousness and holiness that we can come before you knowing that you know everything about us and will forgive us if we will just open our hearts and, and seek you. With heads bowed and eyes closed and the invitation that will begin this morning before we dismiss the service, this is an opportunity as the instrumentalists play just where you're seated to, to go to the Lord, open your heart, confess to Him maybe some things that you've been hiding. He knows them. He loves you. He cares for you. Maybe also in your life today, there's some struggles that you're going through and you feel like you've been left alone. And he addresses the fact that he's given the spirit to these disciples and he gives us the tools that we need. We don't have to be afraid. As the Holy Spirit works in this time of invitation, as she plays, we won't sing this morning. We'll take a time of prayer and reflection before we close. The song says, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, and you're, you're kind of like Judas. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you know you're away from God. and You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Stop playing the part. Trust Christ this morning. You, you could be a believer and you trusted Christ, but you've not revealed that. You've not made that known to those people around you. And the Lord spoke to you today about concealing who you truly are. Let, let others know be afraid of Jesus. Don't be afraid of your relationship with Christ. Take courage. Stand up. She plays through one more time. Thank you. You can look this way. I have several families that have come forward this morning in uh, seeking membership in our church. Uh, Ryan and Sarah, would you stand? This is uh, Ryan and Sarah Reese and Riley and Libby. And uh, they've moved uh, here to the area and uh, want to come into membership of our church. And then Brett and Kate Ketchum and uh, Bradley and Blake uh, that uh, have uh, seek to come into membership of our church. And then Jean. Is Eugene right here on the front, Jean Schroeder, who's uh, been uh, coming to our church here, and she's seeking uh, membership. They've all given their testimony of trusting Christ as her Savior um, and uh, one who needs to be baptized uh, when the day comes. Uh, but we, we want to uh, bring these into membership of our church and want to just go ahead and do it all together. Is there a motion that we would accept their membership? A motion, Mr. Crowder, a second, Mr. John uh, Bolander. 
And uh, Ryan wanted me to do this. All those in favor, say amen. amen. And opposed, say oh me. All right. All right. A motion passed. Praise the Lord. I love for these families to come and just gather at the front here uh, together. And all our members of our church, just before you leave today, uh, would you come and just greet them and uh, let them know you're welcome to come into the family of God. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done for us and those you bring our way, that we would be a blessing to them and they would be a blessing to us. Uh, Lord, there are other families that we've been talking to, and Lord, we, we are thankful for the opportunity when we can bind together as members to belong, a part of a body of Christ where, where we keep one another accountable, and we're friends. And there are others who come and in, enjoy uh, what we have here, and we are thankful for the outreach and the opportunity that we can reach out to this community. But I pray that you would bless these families, uh, uh, the Ketchums, the Reeses, Miss Jean, and Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to bless in our church and this, this, uh, as, as we come back this evening, keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.